Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name is Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers. I'm the Acquisitions Manager here uh, and joined with Melinda. And we've got a guest today. We've got Neil Salko, who's an independent financial advisor with Roscoe Independent Advisory. Welcome, Neil. Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks for having me. Um, I welcome back everybody. Now, as you know, um, we always like to tackle some of the big issues that are relevant to um, buying and investing property here in Brisbane. And today's episode will be a little bit different to our normal trend. Um, Neil Selko is um, one of the the people that we we sometimes refer clients to when they come to us with um, unrealistic Um, plans in terms of what they propose to do with property. Um, We believe in in partnering with people who have expert knowledge in these areas to be able to guide people to correct information and independent advice. Neil, if I can start this episode by actually asking, what does it mean to be an independent financial planner? Because um, there are a lot of financial planners. Um, however, a lot, some financial planners um, may discourage people from property. Can you just give a summary of what it means to be completely independent? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. It's a good, a good question. So, um, and just recently, things have changed in terms of disclosure around that particular point. But essentially, in essence, and not to bore everybody straight away, to go to, to the Act, the, the Corporations Act, um, Section 923A, I believe it is, has a certain uh, restrictions over certain words, such as uh, biased or unbiased, I should say, independence included in that list um, for very good reason. And uh, in order to meet those criteria to call yourself an independent advisor, it's it's quite strict. Um, you have to, um, uh, essentially, it's, it's very focused on remuneration and conflicts of interest and ensuring that um, you're not remunerated in any way that would shape your advice towards a particular product you you're not owned by any uh, product provider either um and so can i just ask there because you've just raised a point um that you not everybody who's a financial planner can call themselves an independent financial planner so there is a difference yeah that's right so um you may own your own license for example uh or be licensed by um a group and you may act as an independent advisor in, in terms of the way the, the act is um, structured. However, if there's anybody within the group that's not meeting the definition of independence, then you can't call yourself independent either. Okay. Um, and that's that's fully disclosed in a financial services guide that's provided to clients. It'll say lack of independence or it'll say independent. Um, and, and there's very few that can meet the definition. That doesn't necessarily mean that the advice is bad. Um, not to freak everyone else out there who's getting good advice from their advisor right now who's maybe not independent, um, but there is a distinction between independent and not independent. So just to help listeners understand the difference, if I was to um, align with a financial planner who is not independent, mm-hmm. how is that different to someone who is independent? Yeah, so there may be some limitations placed on what the advice would be. Mm-hmm. Um, based on uh, a limited um, approved products list, for example, for that advisor, uh, or there may be um, uh, other forms of remuneration or other ways that they are uh, conflicted 
that's that's perhaps something that uh, that's to be to be thought. I should let me phrase it a different way. Uh, there could be prepackaged solutions in mind um, put out there to clients where. Uh, if the advice firm is essentially delivering their own products, uh, then that that could be uh, advice masquerading, mm-hmm. or sales masquerading as advice, I should say. Um, but if your advisor is just doing the right thing by you and working in your best interests, it is possible to still work for a licensing group that can't call themselves independent because of the way that they're operating, taking commissions on insurance, for example, or um, or, or being essentially distributing their own product. Uh, but the advisor themselves could still be an ethical person acting in the best interest of their client. So um, so I don't want to discredit every advisor out there that's non-independent. That's not my goal at all. Yeah. Um, Just something that, for consumers to be aware of, obviously. To be con- yeah, absolutely. And to understand, you know, are there limitations on the advice that's being provided? Um, what would those limitations be? And then perhaps... Uh, understanding mostly even the business model of the advisor, um, because that could lead to your previous note or question about property, where property might get ignored, is uh, you, you might find a, a, a non-independent advisor that still gives their advice towards using property uh, because they understand the asset class or the, or the property market or they're, they favour that and they see it in the best interest of their clients. Um, so, uh, but why it happens maybe less often is the business model of the financial planning uh, firm itself might be one which charges a percentage-based fee on funds under management. Mm-hmm. And that tends to be a disalignment then with recommending property um, because it's very hard to charge a percentage-based fee on a, on a property. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Neil. I mean, I know, look, you know what we think, obviously. Um, <laughs> we're very property heavy, I guess. Um, people would say, and and we might be a little bit biased towards um, property. But yeah, you know, I've I've spoken to financial advisors, whether it's through speaking to them directly or through network groups, and and I'm sure there's so many listeners out there that that will speak to and talk about financial advisors as a general, I guess. Um, and it's interesting the way you're talking about independent to others and obviously being selective not to uh, to say the wrong thing about all financial advisors. But it, it's always probably been a little bit, I don't know, maybe not as favourable, I guess, is the way that I've probably always looked at it and said, oh, financial mm-hmm. advisors don't seem to talk about property so much. Yet we're, you know, we're massive fans of property, as you know. I mean, this is our mm-hmm. life, this is what we believe in, always have, probably always will. Um, and different different people have different sort of opinions, I guess. But um, it is interesting that, you know, when you talk about the independent side of it, that it does bring in that property as well as other types of um, financial advice as well. Yeah, well, being independent, suddenly, you know, the strategy matters more than the product and the client matters more than the product um, because they're the only one paying your bill at the end yeah. of the day. And we're paid by our clients for giving them good advice. And if that involves a property portfolio, because that suits their risk tolerance, that suits their um, their goals at the end of the day. Um, you know, there's plenty of reasons to own property and there's plenty of reasons not to own property. Um, uh, you know, we're not going to talk about all those, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, but, I like that you but, say that the client's more important than the product. Uh, you know, I absolutely. take that line out where you just said, that's, that's very important. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and if you, you know, the old model of advice essentially was was um, backwards. It's product first, commission, salesperson, customer. Mm. Um, and, you know, being independent. Uh, and I think even the, the model of any good financial planning business turns that around to go client first, trusted advisor, solutions. Yep. Mm. Neil, Scott and I have had the uh, privilege of seeing the software that, that you have um, developed and, and that you use within your financial planning firm. The software includes um, wealth building strategies um, across the entire portfolio, including superannuation, shares, managed funds, um, other asset classes, including property as well, yeah. the family home, as well as um, properties purchased specifically for investment purchases. Obviously, through our inquiry and, and through um, clients that we work with, we do have a lot of people that um, that need, want, and are looking for that advice around what is the next move they should make in relation to property. Should mm -hmm. consumers turn to just anyone? Because, hey, there's a lot of people out there <laughs> giving investment advice in relation to property. Um, you can get it on YouTube. You can get it on Instagram. Um, TikTok, I think, is also another platform where there's a lot of investment advice being thrown around when it comes to property. Mm -hmm. Help me understand your perspective on um, on why that's happening and, um, and, you know, the difference in the advice that you'd be giving in that regard. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think it's important that everybody educate themselves uh, and get their knowledge up to a certain level uh, so you can make an informed decision. Um, beyond that, um, I turn to experts that I can trust. Um, and I, don't, I, wouldn't, I would never do brain surgery on myself. Uh, <laughs> and, and, and likewise, I think if, you, if you've got somebody out there like yourself, if it's property, um, who have done this, a thousand times over and you live and breathe it, as you said, you, the experience for the person looking to purchase property is going to be so much better uh, as an outcome uh, compared to if they did it themselves for the very first time. Um, if they followed the TikTok influencer slash Instagram latest whatever trend, uh, they could be, unfortunately, that's, that, that's not really education, nor is it geared towards a tailored plan for them. Mm. Um, it's looking at what everyone else is doing and that's not always the best thing for you. So uh, I think it starts with, you know, who, do, who should they turn to first? Um, understanding what you're looking to achieve is, is the most important thing. So from, a, from our process point of view, you know, when we're talking to clients, we start with what's important about money to them. We understand their values so that we can then connect their values and their goals to, to a plan that makes sense for them. Um, so in understanding what's important to them and looking what they're looking to achieve, we can understand, well, what is their capacity to take on risk? What's their need to take on risk? What is their uh, tolerance towards risk? And then where does property fit into all that? But what about other things they're looking to achieve? You know, family holidays, great schooling for their kids, maybe an upgrade to the family home down the track. Um, as they, you know, get closer to perhaps retirement, you know, slowing down or uh, cutting back to three days a week, or doing something else, second career, something else that they love or um, downsizing at the end of the day, whatever it may be, these are the big decisions that, um, and then, sorry, to go a step further is once you've, once you've passed that 
a point where you're maybe no longer working is, you know, the legacy that you perhaps want to leave or uh, your grandchildren and how you want to help them and, and all sorts of things pop up that you don't expect and we can't really plan for when we're, you know, 30 years old. Um, but these are the things that happen in life. Mm. You've raised a, a few very good points and I've been taking some notes whilst you were talking. The first thing you said was to get educated. And I think mm -hmm. for the consumer, the most important thing is to get educated by the right people. Mm. Um, you know, make an informed decision once you've been educated by the right people. The second thing that you said is um, in relation to ensuring that the plan that you implement is the right plan for you based on your personal mm -hmm. circumstances, because um, anything that might be talked about as a generic, you know, one size fits all approach certainly does not apply for every person because you must consider personal income levels, personal risk appetite, um, timeframes, exit strategies, as you've pointed out, there's so much that goes into planning what type of property to add or what type of investment to add at any point in an investor's journey. I'm going to jump straight to um, a pointed question for you, Neil, because this is something we hear all the time. I want to okay. buy 10 properties in 10 right. years. What do you think of that as a strategy? Um, it wouldn't be impossible, um, but I suppose I would bring it back to, well, what's what's the real goal? Is mm. the goal there, um, yeah, is the goal to have independence? Which, which would seem to me what somebody is looking to do that is is looking to do. They've read somewhere or heard somewhere that, you know, 10 properties, it sounds like a good solid number. Um, it's enough uh, to have in your portfolio. But they don't really have a plan, do they? Um, they have a bland or a, 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 what sounds like an audacious goal, um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that those properties are going to be quality properties. That uh, doesn't necessarily, I mean, you could own, um, 10 properties worth $500,000 each, or you could own three properties worth a million dollars each and, um, you know, and, and have a different experience and, and perhaps, um, uh, yeah, so, 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 you know, you really need to think this stuff through. Um, now, could it be possible to own 10 properties? It absolutely could. Uh, with enough cash flow, you'd have to be a good saver and you'd have to be a good earner. Um, and you'd have to be, you'd have to have a stomach Mm. be able to ride out, um, you know, when interest rates go up, when vacancies occur, uh, these things occur when you own property and when you own more of it and you're more leverage to that, you, you've, you've got to have plans for when things go wrong. Mm. Um, and so it's not impossible to own 10 properties, of course, in 10 years. Uh, I, think, I think if we put it through our software, it, it might show it becomes a little bit harder when you factor in other other things i think one other thing that i always talk about on that one neil is being a builder side of the side of things i look at the maintenance then and say well yeah. do you really want 10 properties because then you've got 10 tenants as <laughs> yes. opposed to as you just said three properties worth more possibly yes. less maintenance um probably less headaches because you've got three tenants you have to worry about um with yes. a manager um as opposed to 10 because that could increase the headaches the maintenance the the stress levels. Um, it's interesting with your program, and, I, and I'll flick back to that because I know Melinda did touch on a little bit. And yeah. when you went through that in, in our office here with us, um, I must admit it sort of blew me away a little bit because the information that you put in and how adaptable it was 
as we've just talked about for not every um it's not a blanket approach in any way when you start to look at that it's independent it's it's what your goals are what your risk appetite is um what you're trying to achieve and you can adjust that as you go as well so yeah as things change as you said if you want to do upgrades to your family home if you want to increase your your holidays if your children leave home whatever it is yeah. you can adapt that as well um, yeah. which i thought was really good to be able to see that as opposed to saying oh look as we just said, I just want to buy 10 properties and, and that's it. I can retire. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the software itself um, is great because we can tailor plans like that to individuals. We can also show them a number of different options, like you've said there, which is, you know, option one is, you know, straight line assumption about everything. Mm. Um, option two might be we throw in some good what ifs and option three might be we show in some bad what ifs. Mm. And that just sets the, you know, the, playing field for what we're dealing with um yeah and, you know, so, yeah yeah but also you know where those those things that may change for example could be income income's a big one free cash flow is a big one uh no matter what the strategy whether it's property or any other investment strategy um if free cash flow starts falling then uh either we have to adjust spending or we have to consider working longer or taking more risk which nobody really wants to do if they can avoid it absolutely Obviously, um, Neil, in our line of work, we deal a lot with people um, who want property plans. Um, mm -hmm. However, a property plan is not something that sits in, in an isolated way. Um, you also need to combine that with the overall wealth creation plan or a holistic wealth creation plan. Can you just explain, you know, how that, that property plan fits into the, the broader, you know, wealth creation plan? Yeah, sure. So uh, depending on, you know, where you're at in your, your journey, it's going to be different for everybody. But um, broadly speaking, if you think about a wealth plan or a holistic wealth management plan, um, it sort of starts with, you know, values and goals and then a, and then a strategic plan that shows you over a number of years um, how you can allocate your resources and how you can expect to receive dividends in the future from allocating your resources, mm -hmm. right? But it also takes into account other areas. For example, you know, we've talked about a property plan. Property plans might have with that a finance plan, you know, like, okay, well, we need finance to purchase. So you'd need to speak to a specialist in that field. A broader holistic plan, financial plan, would take into account financing needs, cash flow needs, property needs, insurance needs, estate planning needs, um, your superannuation and other investment portfolios that you're building, the overall structure, um, you know, who should own these properties? Mm. Um, which structure should that be? Should it be an individual? Should it be a high income earner or a low income earner? Should it be jointly owned through a trust, through a super fund? These are some decisions that a lot of people might get to you and go, oh, I hadn't thought of that. Or well, we, we, we're just going with the default option of owning it jointly or whatever it may be. Now, some of those areas could be handled and, and helped by an accountant, um, not necessarily financial advisor, but it's often the financial planner who's looking at a strategic holistic plan that identifies all these yellow flags and areas that need attention um, mm. and then and then can manage or be that, that person that collaborates with the client or coordinates it all for the client depending on um, you know what they what they, they need. 
Can I ask also, and, and this is again something that um, we often hear, is that you know people are wanting to purchase property to build mm -hmm. income for their retirement years. And you know, I know when we're working with property investors and I sit with investors in a strategy session and we talk about that retirement income and what that might look like. Um, but of course, I would say the majority of the clients that I sit and talk to when I mention the fact that don't forget you're going to have your superannuation funds to draw down on at this point in time, and that's almost mm -hmm. an aha moment for mm -hmm. them. They hadn't considered the income that they're going to generate from super and therefore do we need to be generating income from this property at the time of retirement, or are we looking at, you know, selling this property to, yep. you know, create more liquid funds um, that are more readily available in retirement? There's so much confusion over the purpose of why we'd be adding residential property, especially into an investment portfolio. And we've always uh, been believers that residential property is actually a growth asset, not an income asset. And mm -hmm. I think that a lot of people target residential property for the wrong reason. They're looking for income. Um, however, just through our experience and understanding of property and property markets, of course, commercial property is going to be mm -hmm. a higher yielding asset class. And that's potentially yep. the type of asset that people would own in their retirement years for income when it comes to property. There's so much misunderstanding in relation to property. But you also mentioned um, the importance of, of the team. You know, people can get come to you and get that holistic advice, but they will also need potentially to speak to their accountant to get the advice around structure. A mortgage broker, you also mentioned to get that advice. How important do you think building that team is for anybody that's looking to build wealth and create, um, you know, independence in retirement? Uh, I think it's... It's pretty vital if you um, plan to have significant wealth or if you have complexity in your life. Um, so, um, and, you know, finances do create complexity. So I think, um, I think to have the right team around you working together, especially for your needs, um, you know, on the same page uh, where, where they've all discussed and put their two cents in and then and then delivered for you. Even if they don't agree on on every part of the strategy, I think if if everybody's working with that model in mind of for the clients in mind, at the end of the day, there are things that, you know, a client may have shared with you that they haven't shared with me necessarily. And and so by working together, we identify and um and can coordinate and get the best best uh, result, I think. That the, the team one, I think, is really important as well, Neil. I mean, we know, as we've talked about with people coming to buy property and having some sort of idea of what they want, obviously, if they've got a financial advisor and accountant, and we talk to them about get the advice off these people of your structure and things like that and what you're planning. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we've had people come to us and, you know, we've got Melinda as a qualified property investment advisor in our team and, and Riley as well. Um, to have that advice from people to say, you know, this is the sort of product you want, because of that capital growth. We did an episode, and this is, I would not even remember what episode it was now, where we did an exercise um, where we compared, I think it was testing my memory, I think it was something like two $500,000 properties compared to one $1 million property, is that right? Mm, that's right. And we had mm -hmm. a look at it, what it would look like in the future, and we went forward for that capital growth side. It was just amazing, the difference. Yeah. And that yeah. comes back to that people saying, oh, I just want to buy 10 properties. But is yeah. it is it really what you're after? Because if you look at the long-term goals and how it's going to play out over a long time, is that really what you want? Or is that little bit of cash flow now that you're after? But that doesn't create that long-term wealth. Yeah. No, and I've done similar exercises myself comparing those sort of things. And, and growth trumps uh, cash flow 
in the long term every time. Um, of course, there's, you know, tax that needs to be considered at some stage with selling. However, uh, I think for the long term, you know, anything 10 years plus in any charts, it, it tends to be better off with a, with a higher growth property than a, uh, a higher cash flow property at the start. The other point I guess I'll make too is, you know, even a client who has, whether you've got property or no property in a, in a retirement portfolio, but like you mentioned, you've got that superannuation, um, you know, coming down the track, is um, you may not need to liquidate your property portfolio straight away. Mm-hmm. Um, and even the income it, it, it is providing, provided it's got that growth, just like your superannuation, you're not going to be cashing in all of it every year. Mm. It's, it's there and it's still going to be invested in, in a way that will have income-producing assets. But there may be times, if you go back, you only have to go back three to five years ago, where a lot of defensive assets and people's superannuation were producing quite low uh, returns mm. and the cash flow wasn't great. And so they would need to either be liquidating at that point their capital assets or those defensive assets. But that's that's okay. That's what they're there for. Um, and so when they are producing enough cash flow, I mean, that's the ideal, isn't it? If you could get to a position where all of your assets are producing all the cash flow that you need to, to live a good life, May not be the most tax-effective way to go if you don't have the leverage and all that, but that sounds pretty good to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You're paying too much tax; it means you're earning too much money. Um, yeah. You've you've raised another important point in in what you've just um, discussed there, and and that is you may not need to sell um, as soon as you mm-hmm. hit retirement years because yeah. you've, you've obviously got income coming in from other sources. So it leads me to my next question, and that is how important is a portfolio review, and I'm not just talking about property within that portfolio, but a, an holistic annual review um, mm. a, around your wealth creation strategy. How important is it to keep on top of that? Oh, definitely important. So I think in terms of planning and and how often we would review, like how often we would review with clients, uh, and just thinking about my own personal view, if you've got, for example, I think everyone should have a 20-year plan, you know, 20 to 25-year plan. I think that's important. You're not going to base your everyday decisions on 20-year plans, but the more you align to, you know, beginning with the end in mind, I think that would be a good good overall idea. Then I think a 10-year plan makes a lot of sense to just know where you want to be in 10 years and really focus on that. A three-year plan tends to make a lot of sense and a one-year plan. And so if you've got all, all, all of those, your 10, your three, your one-year then you can focus back on what the portfolio and what your overall plan and cash flow looks like and what it should what everything should be doing for you and then i would bring it back to um a 90 day time horizon so you know just so that it's realistic you can achieve a lot in 90 days mm. if you focus um the review itself depends on how complex the portfolio is depends on how much is going on probably between 90 days and one year for a for a proper good review, I would say. Um, remember, if you've got a big portfolio, 10 properties, you've got cash flow coming through the door um, and you probably need to make a monthly decision about that. Yeah. So, um, but as far as the overall review of, of where things sit, um, we're meeting with our clients typically every six months to 12 months to yeah. talk about that that portfolio and where it and sits. So- and, and, and I guess understanding from an investment perspective, you know, what is the, the total um, income that's coming in? What is the, the, the total volume or value of expenses going out? Um, mm-hmm. And at the moment, especially with property, with interest rates um, being 
you know, inconsistent um, for, for many months. They've been rising um, excessively, some would say. Um, obviously, those costs and expenses have been escalating. It's incredible when I look at our investment software, when we're looking at investment properties um, for clients and we look at the cash flow position. And yeah, most properties are definitely negatively geared at the moment um, mm -hmm. and some more heavily than, than investors feel comfortable with. Um, and then we can just plug in the interest rates that were just 18 months ago. And some of those properties that are heavily negatively geared now were cash flow or rather neutrally geared um, back then. So it is incredible how much interest yeah. rates can change the gearing strategy on a property. So anyone that's that's purchased those properties for cash flow, they're going to be in mm -hmm. a real real trouble at the moment because that strategy now um, perhaps is, is out the door given we are in a different interest rate environment. Would you agree? Yeah, especially if they didn't account for a potential interest rate rise or other factors such as vacancy rates and upholding costs and improvements down the track, all these things that should be factored into an overall property purchase. Um, uh, and, and really, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, bringing back to your, your property plan, what you're purchasing there, growth matters for sure. I mean, but as a builder, Scott, you would maybe appreciate too the opportunity debt with what you have as an asset. Mm -hmm. You know, if you purchase something that has the ability to do something more to it to generate more cash flow great excellent whether that's granny flat and maybe that'll destroy the property and you'll tell me don't do that <laughs> uh, but you know there are there, there are things i mean you guys i'm telling you your job there are things that we can do with property yep. to improve on that property's capital value and cash flow absolutely now I, I, again I, I go back to when i have inquiries from people and people talking to me so I have, let's say, some examples. I have a 52-year-old fellow that talks to me wanting to look to retire soon. Um, I've got a young couple who are trying to get into the market, um, for example, and, and want to have a bit of a plan. At what age is the best time to talk to a financial advisor and who typically would, would talk to you? Yeah, that's they're really good questions. I think the sooner you start planning, the better. Um, that's, that's just really for everybody's sake. Um, however, there are certain life events that are going to occur that are, that are triggers typically for people to see a planner. Um, so, you know, you're earlier on, say, typical might be a couple getting married, get, about to have children, about to purchase their first home. That's typically a good opportunity for them to get some advice around uh, the purchase of the home, their insurance, their, get their super in order, just get their financial house in order. Um, now, beyond that point, it depends on the complexity level and how complex their plan is as to whether they may need the services of an advisor on an ongoing basis. Mm. Um, and so that's going to be down to selection criteria on, on the part of the, the client, picking the right advice firm, picking the right advisor for them. Um, that's actually quite challenging in the current environment with so many advisors leaving the industry. Mm -hmm. um, it, it is actually a challenge, I think, for a lot of clients to find the right advisor because it's both a commercial and a personal fit at the end of the day. It's a very personal service. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, so that, so that early on, I would say, is, is very important. And then key um, other times, I think, that, that a trigger points would be um, either that empty nester was, you know, just suddenly you notice thing without the school fees and without the mortgage as being as high, except they just got this free cash flow. And so it's an opportunity to either do something with it or completely waste it. 
Um, and so I think that's a really key time to to start thinking about advice or not start thinking about advice to get advice and to get a plan going for your free cash flow. And then no doubt your pre-retiree, somebody who's looking at you know that 52-year-old or that even you know, 55 in that zone where they've they're getting serious about either a 10 to 15-year time horizon um, for retirement planning. If you plan to retire a bit earlier, if you want to retire in your 50s or 55, then obviously you should have that plan back in your 40s or 30s. Um, very few people, I think, that make it to their 50s retire and go, hmm, I was lucky. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. Maybe. <laughs> I haven't encountered too many of them. Um, so, uh, and then I think your your question was also, you know, um, sorry, what were the two who typically, who typically would? Who's your typical? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So for us, so our typical client, I guess, is um, clients with a bit of complexity to their to their world. We like to solve some pretty complex problems for clients. Um, you know, with that software we mentioned, we do something called a strategy analysis. And so a client who's facing some complex financial questions, um, whether that's in that initial phase of, you know, building their wealth or whether they're trying to decide how soon can they make work optional or, um, you know, big complex questions that seem simple enough to us, but really require quite a bit of analysis to, to actually get an answer that's sufficient. Um, so that's that's um, the sort of clients that we like helping in in a strategic uh, at a strategic point. The sort of clients that we work with most and get the most value, I think, from us are those that can engage on an ongoing basis and also actually get value from a partnership with us. Um, and so that'll be determined by usually the complexity of the plan or the number or the responsibility involved in in what we're doing for them versus what you know uh, needs to be done so clients who might have either um achieved a significant amount of wealth and have retired and and didn't work their whole lives to suddenly become their, their own financial advisors and just want to be able to delegate to somebody they can trust or somebody who's maybe building their wealth wants someone on the side be able to coordinate or be part of that team that's going to be working for them to to achieve this this long-term outcome. I was going to talk about earlier um, three three investor profiles that sort of stand out that I think fit our our uh, firm. So I forget which study it was, uh, 2009 perhaps it was done, but these nine investor personalities uh, evolved. And the three that stand out for me are the family steward, the person who's really doing this for the family. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why they... They, you know, they go to work every day and they, they're building a legacy for their family. I think that really resonates well. Um, and then the independent, the person who's just trying to do this for freedom, uh, to, to be able to, you know, to just say that if I want to wake up and not go to work or if I, I just want to be who I want to be, um, that's the independent thinking. And that's where, you know, money, they can be just, they can, they can actually work a plan. They can stick mm. to a plan because they're that determined. Uh, and then the last um, one that we like working with is someone called the financial phobic. So the financial phobic is actually someone who really doesn't like talking about money. Yeah. They understand the importance of money. They understand and recognize that, um, you know, money needs to be looked after and there's a responsibility to wealth mm. that they're not really willing to or don't want to shoulder. Um, and so they're looking to partner with someone they can trust, that they can look after it, that understands it, that they can talk about the footy or something else when they have the meeting with you because they, they just don't want to talk about money. Um, absolute phobics around it. Definitely captures a large portion of the population in the descriptions there, a family steward and independent and uh, 
yeah, a financial, what was it? Uh, financial phobic. Phobic. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, love them. Yeah. Sounds really good. <laughs> yeah. Neil, if if people want to get in touch, how do, how do they get in touch with you to have a chat? Yeah. So uh, head to our website. Uh, I think that's going to be in the show notes, www.rosco.com.au. Uh, and uh, there is a contact section. You can feel free to click on that, fill out a form there if you like, and it'll come through to us and we'll make a call to you. Or you can actually select a time with either our Melbourne or our Brisbane office, um, and um, that'll open up a calendar link where you can select a time for, to make an initial call. Yep. Sounds cool. good. Yeah. Well, people yeah. can get in contact. Look, a few things I've written down there, planning, education, team, review, live happy and retire comfortable. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty good plan. Good summary. Yeah. <laughs> now, look, thanks very much um, for the chat. It's been great chatting. I'm, I'm sure people got a lot of information out of that and something to think about as well yeah, to plan good. ahead. Um, so good thank luck. you very much for taking the time to have a chat to us today. We really appreciate it. I will um, let Melinda wrap it up and, and say thanks again. And um, until next week, that's all from me. Thanks very much for listening and bye for now. Neil, thank you so much for, the t- for your time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Melinda. Thank you, Scott. It was great. As always, we hope you have enjoyed another episode here on the Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, Certainly, I hope you can take away the meaning of what it is to be an independent financial planner. Um, And now you can, you know, decipher um, when you're looking to partner with someone to give holistic advice, especially if property is part of your portfolio. It's so important that you find someone that's independent. Um, As always, if you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to leave us a review, share the episode with friends and family. Um, And of course, we look forward to speaking with you again next week. Thanks for your time today. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course, tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.